0: I'm talking with Jeff Wells. He's a senior consultant urologist at Box Hill Hospital and a member of the COVID Doctors Network that was quite outspoken in criticising the um, 100 plus day lockdown that Victorians endured in 2020. Good to speak to you, Jeff.
1: Great to uh, be back, Pierce. I haven't spoken for a while, but um, we're back to where we started the uh, wheels almost turned
0: full circle, hasn't it? Yeah, almost a year ago, exactly, we went into that second wave that Victoria had as a result of quarantine leakage, and the, the leakage didn't happen in uh, Melbourne, this time it happened in Adelaide. Yes. Uh, it, it seems to me, I mean, I wanted to ask you just what you, where you thought we are with this outbreak. I mean, encouraging numbers today, only four new cases detected after pretty good testing numbers, but... It seems that it's it's very widespread in terms yeah, of the it seems like, to be. yeah, and it's two two sporting arenas, ten thousand plus close or indirect contacts. What are your feelings about this? I mean, are you optimistic this will be contained and it'll only be a week of lockdown, or where do, where do you think we are at this stage?
1: Well, I think the last time we spoke, Pierce, um, you asked me a question, and I, got, <laughs> I was a little bit off the mark, <clears throat> so I could be off the mark again. I'm look. I, I guess I'm quite worried about the whole process that could occur. I mean, I think if this lockdown continues for more than a week or especially more than two weeks, this is going to be because there's fairly, the, the virus is fairly extensive. Let's hope it's not. If it does, then the long-term uh, detrimental effects of the lockdown are going to be absolutely severe. And as we said previously, these, uh, the downturn events... The side effects of the lockdown, we all know, are far worse than the side effects of the virus. We've seen this time and time again. We've, we've heard this in schools, our schools have stopped. Uh, we looked that the children aren't going to school for a week, and if this happens again, there's going to be serious side effects. So let's hope that the virus doesn't spread, that, that the cases are well contained. We know that there does seem to be this new virus, which is Indian and apparently in origin does seem to be a a little bit more contagious than uh, previously. I don't know what the virulence is like, but um, I think at this stage we're just guessing uh, what's going to happen. we're, We're just going to be hopeful that the cases are contained, that they can get the contact tracing right. And this is critical. Please get the contact tracing right. Of course, we're also very concerned about uh, uh, patients coming um, people coming in from overseas we just know that yes last night which is somewhat ironic we have a lockdown and at the same time 150 um people come in from india so mm. Mm. it depends what the hotel quarantine system is like um, this is, it's all up in the air at the moment. Mm. And, you know, if we are in New South Wales, Pierce, we'd be a lot more confident than we are now.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: So let's, let's hope this government has learned something. I don't know if I have, um, but um, it's all a little bit up in the air.
0: Yeah. By the sound of things you're saying... That if the outbreak continued and, the, and the, the daily numbers bubbled along and as a significant amount, you know, perhaps higher than we had today, the only four reported on the second day of lockdown, or sorry, the first full day of, of uh, hard lockdown for the whole state and and bear in mind that we only had we had a hard lockdown for greater melbourne not for the whole state so this is uh, this is the first time since february when we had that lockdown over valentine's day that weekend which uh, i think you were quite critical of them doing that and you uh, you presented you suggested some other reasons to do with uh, you know computer systems being down that sort of thing was actually behind that that scenario but i take it that you would not advocate continuing with hard lockdown for the whole state or for Greater Melbourne beyond two weeks under any circumstances? And if so, what would you, what would your prescription be? If, you, if you're saying lockdown's not acceptable and that the, that the side effects are worse than the virus, what would you recommend the government did?
1: I think we have to just go back to basic common sense. Uh, we have to have uh, social distancing, mask wearing inside and just basic common sense and let's get on with our lives we have to learn to live with this virus we just have to change our policies a little bit and it all comes down to social distancing Um, but as we've said previously P.S. Boy, if this goes on for two or three weeks small businesses are going to be absolutely decimated what's going to happen then is we're going to have a huge amount of mental anguish, and it's going to affect all all members of the community. It's just, it's, it's going to be terrible. Yep. We're probably never going to get rid of this virus. So the whole key is vaccination. Now, it's absolutely critical that people get vaccinated as soon as possible. And I know when you give people choice, then it can get difficult. One of the big problems seems to have been the choice between the Pfizer and the AstraZeneca Uh vaccination now all I'd say is get one or the other it doesn't really matter obviously if you're between 40 and 50 you are able to get the Pfizer virus but people over 50 should not be afraid they should definitely get vaccinated because the side effects of the vaccination are far far less compared with the side effects of getting the virus Now we know, you know, people are talking about blood clots. Well, Pierce, the effect of getting uh, significant blood clots from the Pfizer virus is about one in 300,000. Compare this with girls on the pill. Incidence of women on the pill with clotting problems is about one in a thousand. So we're comparing one in a thousand from the contraceptive pill with one in three hundred thousand from the virus. You mean
0: from the vaccine? From the vaccine, sorry.
1: And vaccine.
0: And, and and is that the yep. the AstraZeneca or the That's Pfizer? The AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca. That's the AstraZeneca. Now the Pfizer one is lower. The Pfizer is lower, but there have been some re- reported cases of clotting as well
1: with the oh, Pfizer. So yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Look, I think the, the problem. Of, of choice is, is difficult. As I said uh, previously, when we had uh, the polio vaccine, there was one vaccine everyone got it. If there'd just been one vaccine, we probably, would in a, in a funny sort of way, ironically, we would be probably better off if we just had the AstraZeneca, and everyone would have had the AstraZeneca. We would have been the incidence of vaccination would have been much higher. We need to get to sixty-five to seventy percent for herd immunity. Mm. So you Know this is what we've got to do, and it's been uh, the, the take up has been very, very slow. So, I think only about 10 or 15 percent of the community is vaccinated now.
0: Is that yeah, that's Which, right. They've just got past uh, four million doses so far in Australia. So, that's the that's yes. that's a, and that's a, in the case of AstraZeneca or Pfizer, that's just the first round of dose. Um, yes. that's not that's not a complete um vaccination of over two installments. Um, But they are saying that they're making quite significant progress in in, um, getting aged care, you know, people over 70 in aged care facility fully vaccinated in Victoria. I think they're saying by the end of the week, uh, they will have completed that, which is impressive. And I think that, you know, they're feeling some pressure because, you know, it was always that the target was to get the most vulnerable people vaccinated. Those over 70, particularly people in nursing homes where we had a lot of fatalities last year.
1: Absolutely, Piers. I mean, mass vaccination is possible. If we compare ourselves with the UK, in the UK, in six weeks, they did 30 million vaccinations. Mm. I mean, it just far surpasses what we've ever done. And I don't quite understand. I mean, there's been, obviously, a problem with supply earlier on, Mm. uh, especially getting the virus from uh, problems with the EU. Mm. Uh, Now, uh, AstraZeneca making a million... Um, doses a week, mm. so you know there should be enough uh, vaccine to go around. Um, I think some of the GPs, as we might have previously discussed, they had to do a webinar. It was a three-hour webinar before they were eligible to give the vaccination, and a lot of GPs found this. Uh, a little bit unusual and weren't very happy about it because, as we know, GPs have been giving vaccinations for years and years. Yep. So uh, this sort of um, alienated a few, to say the least. Hopefully now we can get the number of people vaccinated uh, to markedly increase and, um, you know, we can get it up to herd immunity. And this is basically the way... The solution, or or as I see it, the solution to the problem, vaccination, and hopefully, uh, you know, then we can learn to live with this virus rather than having repeated lockdowns, which is just causing an enormous amount of frustration, especially to the business community, but Mm. also the community in general. The patients are confused, they're worried, they're angry. This is kind of reflecting on uh, all aspects of society, all families. It's just a, a very bad situation, especially, as we keep saying, if we compare what is going on in New South Wales in particular, but the other states, we're on the fourth lockdown now. You know, this is just a totally unacceptable and you know, I think, Pierce, that what's going to happen is the only reason people, are, a lot of people in their 60s and 70s are staying in Victoria is that they have grandchildren. I know this sounds. Otherwise,
0: annoying, they'd be out of
1: here. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. They'll be learning. The patients are telling me that the things, that the reason we are staying in Melbourne is because of, of our families. Mm. That's all. Mm. If we didn't have families, we'd be away. We'd be heading north.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is sad to see estates have that happen. You know the number of people who are moving out. There's, you know, there's a big housing boom up in uh, uh, the Sunshine Coast of Queensland. A lot of those people who are moving up there and pushing real estate prices up are from Victoria. So it's already beginning. In fact, I think some of the the, the biggest amounts of, of movement within the country um, have happened in the last twelve months, motivated by a pandemic.
1: What, what we're seeing socially is unprecedented times. Mm. This, this has never happened. Mm. Victoria has always been, if you like, the boom business state, hasn't it? It's always been, as they used to say, the jewel in the crown. Mm. It's always been the centre of manufacturing. Sure, we may not have had had the weather of the northern states, but we always had great business opportunities and a lot of fulfilment mm. in general life. And mm. I think this fulfilment and is is markedly diminishing now. I think it's extremely sad.
0: You and I spoke this morning a little bit on the subject of of vaccine hesitancy, which is one of the things that's held back the federal government's vaccine rollout, and they haven't got anywhere near the the targets that they set out at the beginning of the year. I mean, my take on this as a layman is that people have looked around, they've heard these stories. A lot of it is misinformation or disinformation, which is quite damaging. And in some, you know, some have even argued that it's deliberate, you know, that this stuff is being seeded in some cases from overseas by foreign governments who can see some advantage to themselves to weakening their adversaries by putting out misinformation or disinformation about the effectiveness of vaccine. But it has taken hold. Um, I mean, my mother told me of a, a... uh, she was in a taxi in Melbourne recently and the driver didn't have a mask on. And she said, oh, I notice you're not wearing a mask. And she was wearing a mask. This was before this current lockdown. And he, and he said, oh, I don't believe in that. I've been told that, you know, that this is all a big hoax. And then mum said, oh, what about the vaccine? Would you, would you get vaccinated to, you know, to make yourself safe against the virus? She said, and he said, oh, no, no, the vaccines can cause genetic damage. And he said, where I come from, if you get sick, you drink donkey's milk. And mum said, oh, don't you feel unsafe? And, you know, would you are you worried that you might die from the virus? And he said, oh, no, God will protect me. You know, that's just, just a little snapshot, a little bit on this sort of absurd scale, but, but a, a snapshot of some of the misinformation that's out there and, and these apprehensions that people have based on really pretty tenuous information. We mentioned this morning that vaccine hesitancy might be addressed by a big Scare campaign along the lines of what they did in the 80s with the uh, the Grim Reaper campaign against AIDS. Our Prime Minister, who's, you know, the federal government's handling the vaccine rollout. The Prime Minister's background is in marketing, Scotty from marketing. So you'd reckon that yes. that would be right up his alley to do that. I'm surprised that they haven't actually already done that.
1: Lots of very creative minds in Australia. Yeah. You know, one thing we haven't lost is our creativity. Yeah. Now, creative minds out there that can put a good campaign in to save them. We are in the luckiest country in the world. We've been extremely lucky, as it is, with the number of cases of the virus. But to do this, we all need to pull together. It's not very difficult, but everyone needs to get involved here across all sections of society and say that we're going to protect our elderly and the elderly are going to say we've got beautiful young children and we want them to have a creative and fulfilling life and want to be able to go to school and we all want to integrate and keep our country going as we had previously. This is not that difficult mm. but unless, unless everyone gets on board then we're going to have problems.
0: One of the problems perhaps with getting people to jump on board with the vaccination program is that there's it's a sort of a slightly complicated story You know, there is some confusion, I suspect, out there among people saying, well, okay, well, if I get vaccinated, I could still contract the disease even though I've been vaccinated, number one. And two, I can still be contagious if I've been vaccinated. And so, therefore, how does that work with herd immunity if you can be contagious to other people around you, family members, work colleagues, people at the supermarket, the sporting club, the gym, whatever... Does the fact that you can be contagious having been vaccinated undo the idea that you're going to achieve herd immunity?
1: I don't think so. But I think, like lots of things in life, we're looking for perfection. And the vaccines are very, very good, but they're not perfect. So we know with the Pfizer vaccine, um, the chance of it being very effective is about 85 to 90%. Now we know with the um, with the AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, it's between sixty and eighty percent, but the, the studies aren't out yet, and it's, it's quite a early days. Yep. Um, but almost certainly, we know that if you have been vaccinated, you're not going to die from the virus. So, from the elderly people, these are the people who are going to die from it full stop. So there's no doubt, absolutely beneficial to the elderly people for young people there is a chance they're not going to die but and then they won't going to die anyway in, in the vast vast majority of cases but there is a chance that they they still may con- be contagious the figures aren't out yet they're, they're very small but it's not perfect immunity no questions but yeah, yeah, so, yeah. uh, still if we can get to the herd immunity peers of 65 70 percent then it's going to be very effective.
0: The other thing I was and I think we we touched on this this morning as well, Jeff, was that the way to get to incentivize people to to have the vaccine. So you have a scare campaign is one thing or or a very powerful advertising campaign, taking advantage of those creative minds to sell the idea of, of having the vaccine of whatever form it is, Pfizer or whatever. But the other thing is to incentivize it. Qantas has announced that they're going to give people points or cheaper airfares or that sort of thing if they've been vaccinated, if they've had both halves of the the vaccine. So a complete vaccine, uh, not just one half of it. It seems to me that if you incentivise it in that kind of way, then you'll also get people attracted to the idea of having the vaccine. So if you say to them, well, you know, if you want to go to the gym or if you want to go to a big sporting event, you'll have to have something on your phone which unequivocally proves that you've been fully vaccinated and then, and only then, can you get on that plane and go overseas potentially or go to the sporting event at the MCG with 80,000 people or 50,000, whatever it is, or go to your local gym and and, and do a yoga class or a spin class yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. That also, I think, would incentivize people and, so, and, and get them to sort of see a, a really practical benefit. And, okay, maybe it's a little bit... Uh, draconian to say, uh, well uh, unless uh, you have that, you can't do those things. But it would have an effect if you did say that.
1: Yeah, look, I, I can see both I, I hear exactly what you're saying, Pierce. Mm. It could be a bit of an affront on personal liberty. We all know this when they tried to bring the Australia card out. It can be an affront on personal liberty. But certainly it may not need to be done at this time. But if it's too slow in in getting the uh, numbers up, then I think this is what's going to happen. It's going to be like mini passports everywhere you go. And uh, if if the uptake's too slow, then unfortunately the personal liberty will have to take a step back. And this is is what we're going to have to do, especially to large sporting events, so going to 100,000 people at the the cricket ground or something like this. Mm. I don't think it's unrealistic. I can see that it does affect personal liberty to some degree. But, you know, if this is going to stop lockdowns, then take a step back and, and and just
0: go ahead and do it. No. And and also I mean there is an argument from people who do get vaccinated and do okay it in a, in a sense take a, a bit of a chance with themselves whatever it is 1 in 200,000, 1 in 300,000. Yeah, yeah. But you know the attitude, you know the attitude might be well I've I've gone to the trouble of getting vaccinated and taken a bit of a risk and why should I put myself or why should I be surrounded by people who who haven't taken that risk, you know, surely there's a, li- there's a little bit of inequity in in, in some people um, taking that chance and having that benefit for the community, to, uh, chipping away at the, the goal of, of herd immunity, and others who don't do it. Why should they have the same sort of freedoms that you do when you've taken that chance? I
1: hear exactly what you say. I mean, of course, you know, <clears throat> there is going to be a percentage of the community who are going to refuse to get vaccinated. You know, the anti-vaxxers, well, everyone has their own right to their own ideas etc personally these it's pretty unscientific it's not pretty unscientific it's totally unscientific yeah there's always been anti-vaxxers in the past we all know that there have been very very small evidence of bad effects from vaccination this has occurred from from time immemorial occasionally there's some side effects of (coughs) vaccination but it's all about risk and the risks of what you're being vaccinated against to far outweigh the risk of the vaccination itself, of any side effects. So it's all about an analysis of risks. And there's no question that vaccination is going to be the answer. And it's basically the answer to, to, to this problem we've got. We, we can't continue to have lockdowns. We have to get vaccinated. The anti vaxxers, well, I don't know if they can be persuaded. Hopefully they're only a very small percentage of the population. And if, if, you know, you can't force people to be vaccinated, obviously, but you can try and be as persuasive as you can. If they're that dogmatic, well, then they're that dogmatic. There's always plenty of dogma in society, but hopefully it's only a very small percentage of the population.
0: Mm. Jeff, the acting premier was commenting at the COVID media conference that getting the public vaccinated is, quote, the best and fastest way out of the pandemic.
1: That would um, one of the few uh, <laughs> that parliamentarians from that side of yeah. the parliament have said that I would totally agree. Well, it with it is,
0: it's interesting, isn't it, how our Premier is just missing in action. And, and I wonder how long he can stay on the sidelines for before his whole position as Premier becomes untenable. I mean, you can't have a Premier who's just not there and yet is still the Premier.
1: I just think the whole situation, um, whilst we're extremely uh, sad for him, and he has had a significant injury, mm. uh, no doubt, and uh, he's taking a, a, quite a long time to recuperate. It's a thoracic spine injury. It was significant. They did consider surgery for it. So um, no, no, no question we have uh, totally sympathy for his medical condition. But right. the way it's been reported, I think, is just bizarre. You know, we haven't heard from him. He's just uh, disappeared. There's all sorts of rumours going on about how the incident occurred. Most of them are probably totally unfounded. But it does seem as though the injuries may not be consistent with what we've been told in the press.
0: The acting premier was asked how the premier, Dan Andrews, is going and how his recovery is going just recently. And, yes. and he said, oh, no, he's up and about. He's walking. So if he's doing that, he could actually be... Being a premier, you know, he could be sitting down and doing a conference call or, you know, he could be doing stuff from home, but he could actually be, by the sound of things, um, being a lot more active as in his role as premier rather than taking all this time out. And I mean, it just seems inconsistent to say his recovery is going well and he's walking and yet he can't do anything in his role as premier.
1: Yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying, Piers. I think we've just got to be a tiny bit careful because we don't know if there has been any sustained neurological deficit, and and, and any activity may worsen this. It's it's very 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 difficult to say. Right. Uh, as I said, it, it is extremely strange that he he's just got into hiding. Prior to this, we were seeing him every day, and now we haven't seen him at all. It's just a, a very strange. Scenario: The fact that uh, he went into the Alfred, and he, he first went to peninsula Private, then he went to the Alfred. The doctors at the Alfred were told that if anyone um, looked at his file, uh, instant dismissal. That's, that's factual. The whole series of events is unusual. Mm. The fact that... Um, He hasn't faced the media, he was facing the media continually, but since the accident he hasn't faced the media, normally what would happen is if something like that happened, there would be just a minimal bit of media attention, just a a quick interview, even maybe without being too intrusive, just briefly in the immediate post-operative, recuperative period, just how you're going... Uh, a little bit of word from him about what had happened, what he thought the uh, time span was going to be before he came back to work. But we've just had this total void of information. And I just think it's uh, it's quite bizarre.
0: Mm. Going back to the conversation about COVID, um, yes. another question I, I wanted to ask you was that I'm not sure if you're aware, but there has been suggestions that with this new, more contagious Indian variant of the virus, that 14 days quarantine is insufficient to determine that a person is not contagious and that 21 days is actually required with the Indian variant. Can you comment on that?
1: No, I, I have heard this. Uh, to some degree, but I don't know how reliable the information is, Piers. So uh, the hotel quarantine is quite interesting. Um, I had a patient today who came in on the first flight about a month ago from overseas. It was an Emirates flight, flew into Melbourne. There was 50 people on the plane. By the time they landed, which was at 9.30 at Tullamarine, and they got to the Holiday Inn, which is about three or four hundred metres away, yep. it took them three hours. There were 60 to 70 people in marks and all sorts of protective gear ushering them from the airport to the Holiday Inn. Wow. The fellow said it was just absolutely unbelievable and he compared his um, stay at the Holiday Inn where he had previously been in quarantine at the Novotel in Sydney, and Darling Harbour, and the army were involved in that, Mm. uh, in Sydney, and he said the experience in Sydney was far more pleasant than the experience in Melbourne. He said the people in Melbourne were basically very rude, he was made to feel like a criminal, Mm. and he said the whole procedure of two weeks quarantine was absolutely awful, especially when he compared it with Sydney, so I thought that was quite interesting. I'm not sure on the time factor, but it would seem as though this chap in Adelaide, he should have been quarantined for longer, doesn't
0: it? I think it's more that what the difference in the in the strains of the virus are and, 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 you know, actually how long it takes to be clear of it. The other thing I wanted to just briefly touch on with you is while we're on quarantine hotels, I mean, we, we all know that these, these hotels that are being used for quarantine are not actually designed for that purpose. I mean, they were designed as hotel rooms... The problem is that you can have... And I think this is the explanation that's been given. Um, they've looked at CCTV cameras of what happened in the Adelaide Hotel where the, the person who has started this outbreak in Victoria, he went, he went into quarantine in Adelaide, an Adelaide hotel, apparently did not have the virus when he entered the hotel. But because a, a person in the same corridor as him opened their door fairly close to the time that he opened his door, through the aerosol spread of the Indian variant, he was able to, to contract the, the virus. So this is a problem which applies to all these places that people are really relying on to provide a quarantine solution. It's been argued that And then I actually was looking at a a person today in the media. I think it was a medical expert saying the federal government really does need to step up and say, "Okay, well, we can't rely on hotels that aren't built for this purpose to be a secure way of quarantine." I mean, we know that we've where we've had outbreaks in Melbourne and elsewhere. They've been because of breaches of quarantine hotels. What we need is actually purpose-built facilities like the Howard Springs facility in the Northern Territory where you can place people and be pretty sure that you're not going to have this leakage either between people who are in adjacent rooms or between staff and people who are in quarantine. What do you think of that? I mean, I know that logistically that's a hard thing to do. It's an expensive thing to do. But what do you think about that? Uh,
1: Look, I think this is the answer. I mean, you're absolutely... 100% 100% accurate. The hotels, they're hotels. They're not quarantine hotels, mm. and the ventilation is not not right. It's they're not designed to be quarantine stations. Mm. And as you're saying, the problems have arise from this. So if we are going to uh, continue and to to let uh, people in, then we'll have to limit the air, we'll have to limit the numbers put them in, examples of the, the uh, area in uh, Northern Territory, how it springs. I mean, to, to do that, there's a limit to the number of people we can let in. This is just uh, basic common sense because we're just going backwards otherwise. It's just not gonna work. Well, it doesn't work in Melbourne. It seems to have worked in Sydney.
0: Maybe that's a, a good point to, to end on. And I mean, this was asked of the acting premier when he announced this seven day lockdown. A journalist was impertinent enough to sort of stand up and say, "Well, how is it that the rest of you know the country doesn't have uh, these outbreaks for whatever reason? Whether it's, I mean, the, the quarantine leakage did not occur in Melbourne this time. No one, no one's saying it didn't. And the acting premier was very quick to to point that out, but." Yeah. You know, why is it then that we have these problems in Victoria, but the rest of the country doesn't? In New South Wales, they deal with, I think it's at least double the number of people arriving and being put through the system than we do in Melbourne anyway. What's the answer to that? I really don't know the answer. I mean, apart from just thinking that they're basically incompetent.
1: The trouble with uh, the people in Victoria is they haven't wanted to learn anything. They know that their results are poor, that they haven't gone to Sydney and uh, studied what's going on there, seeing what the differences are. They don't want to learn anything. Mm. Uh, the Premier said that they've got the gold standard for hotel quarantine and <clears throat> for contact tracing. Well, this is obviously untrue. Mm. Uh, uh, they haven't gone out of their way to, to try and better themselves.
0: Yeah, which is so which is very. I mean, that's really a, a, a serious problem, isn't it? If you've got so that's a cultural yeah. issue in the Labor government in in Victoria.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, the Labor government's been extremely disappointing, extremely disappointing. And I think lots of the ministerial staff aren't up to it. To be truthful, mm. but it's, I don't think there's enough um, depth of talent to deal with
0: the pandemic mm. I've been talking with Jeff Wells Senior Consultant Urologist at Box Hill Hospital Jeff look, let's keep in touch about this and hope yes. beyond hope that we don't see an extension anywhere beyond the uh, the week that's been set aside so far for uh, stage 4 lockdown for the whole state yes. um, gr- great to chat today and, and thank you very much for your time appreciate it you're listening to Beyond Infinity beyond Infinity.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au.